Hey everyone, welcome to The Start. I'm your host, Patrick Johnson, and this week we're with Yesenia Perez-Cruz of Philadelphia. Um, to me, you know, Yesenia is a pretty big deal. I've followed her on the internet, like on Twitter and stuff for a while, and anytime she posted an article, I'd read it, and anytime she'd talk about something, you know, I was definitely listening. Um, so it was really fun to have her on the podcast. Um, for those of you that don't know her, Yesenia is a designer at Intuitive Company, and prior to that, she was a senior designer at Happy Cog, um, the the myth, the legend that Happy Cog is. Um, but yeah, we had a, a really good talk. You know, it was a lot about our life, as most episodes are, but the interesting thing is that we talked a lot about sort of what, you know, what it was like in her experiences to go through different companies. So going from a smaller version of a design agency like a happy cog to a larger company like intuitive company. Um, we talked a lot about learning, you know, the, the idea of learning after school or after formal education, the idea of how to, you know, at least in Jacinia's case, uh, she went to school, you know, she learned design in school. She did an internship with happy cog, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what it actually meant to slow down, and learn design outside of a traditional sense, so outside of college, and actually learn it on the job. She talks about something in the episode called the gray box method, um, which is something that she definitely stuck to early on in her career um, and slowly moved away or, or did less of it explicitly on paper and more of it mentally as she got more experience, really. Um, you know, we, like I said, a lot of this episode's about learning um, what it means to like slow down and focus on your core skills. So to give an example for anybody listening today, you might be really good at flat design, but are you good at actual design composition? Are you good at color theory? Are you good at uh, photography or photo editing skills? Some of the things that make up um, your overall talent. We talked about just slowing down and focusing on those core skills. One thing that we talked about and I really, really liked, um, and I talked about, we talked about this in a, previous episode last season with uh, Mung and it's the premise of throwing ideals out. You know, what happens sometimes is you're chatting with friends or you're at work and you throw an idea and then someone says, hey, that that's not a good idea or no, it won't work because of X or Y. And what ends up happening is for whatever reason, we immediately feel or get defensive as if what they're saying is that we are are not a good idea or that we're not smart. And that's not the case, right? Like the idea is separate from the person. Um, and in this episode with Jacinio, we talked about that, like the uh, the premise that an idea can be good or bad. It is not a reflection of a person, but it is a thing that a person offers um, that could work or could not work, right? It might be the best solution, it might be an okay solution that can then grow and evolve into something totally different that becomes that best solution or it could just be terrible, totally separate. But I read an article, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes, but it talked about a similar similar thing around ideas, except it was more around execution of getting better ideas to the table. Uh, so picture yourself at a meeting and someone's like, oh, we need to come up with an idea for this and then everyone's silent the author likens it to you and your friends saying that you're hungry and you need to go somewhere and no one wants to come up with an idea. So his first approach or his immediate response is, let's go to McDonald's. 
And the reason being is because no one wants to go to McDonald's. So immediately hitting rock bottom inherently means that every idea thereafter is going to be better. And I, hopefully um, it gets better as they keep spitting out new ideas of restaurants. So you take about it in the premise of design. Um, if you guys, if you guys and girls or te- uh, coworkers, teammates, whatever, or just some people partnering on a project are stuck, it's the premise of hitting rock bottom first. You know, it's almost like getting all the bad ideas out early. That way, you can make room for the good ones. So, you know, we talked about that kind of stuff. We and this has been, in my opinion, a reoccurring theme on the episode on the shows in general. We talked about uh, Ira Glass's The Gap and how that relates to the work that people do. Uh, we talked about the differences between like a junior level person and a senior level person. In this case, a junior designer and a senior designer, and and understanding the dynamic between them, um, and sort of how one evolves into the other. Generally speaking, a lot of this episode was about learning. A lot of it um, was about understanding growth in yourself, not only as a person, but as a professional in your respective career. And, and in Jacinia's case, it's design. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the episode in a nutshell. I will get out of your way and let you guys and girls listen to this episode with Jacinia. One last thing before we go, um, per usual, if you like this episode, share it with your friends. If you're a new listener, I'd love it if you could subscribe. And if you've got a little extra time, maybe you can leave a review on iTunes or rating. All of it sort of plays into the exposure of the podcast. So I'd really, really appreciate that. So without further ado, this is um, Jacinia Perez-Cruz on the start. Thanks. Cynia, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, you know, I was pretty excited to have you. I think I reached out to you and you said uh, yes. And then like a week later, the event apart, uh, like um, panel, like online panel was emailed out to me. And I was oh. like, two people on that panel I've interviewed for this season. So super excited about that. Uh, you and Laura. Oh, yeah, and, that's awesome. Yeah, she she was really fun to talk with. She's actually, surprisingly... Um, she lives in the same neighborhood as I do, and I didn't even know that. <laughs> Granted, like she works at Etsy, which is in Brooklyn, so the fact that she lives in Brooklyn isn't as too shocking. Crazy. But um, yeah, but it was still really, really cool. Um, I was—I I don't know—I was really—I thought it was nice. Most of the people that I speak to are remote, like you. You know, you're based in Philly, and I'm in Brooklyn. I spoke to someone else who is in Poland, and a few people from England. So it's like. Any chance that I get to talk to someone that's in New York, I tried to make it like an in-person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but how are you doing on this snowy day? Um, a little bit snowed in right now. I haven't really gone outside. <laughs> but, that's fair. Yeah, I don't think I will either. Yeah. Um, cool. So I wanted to bring you on to chat about you and your life's history as it relates to your your profession um just to clarify for myself and the listeners you were just on that event apart talk you were speaking from a design perspective correct yeah and it was actually it's the events are put on by a list apart 
and mm. they're called a list apart on air. It's a little yes, bit I'm different sorry. than sorry. A list um, apart, not a van apart. Yeah, You're right. An event apart. But yeah, we were it was the first one, which was um I think really exciting for us to be part of the mm-hmm. first a list apart on air and we were talking about designing for performance. Um and I was specifically talking about it from um a design perspective. That's fun. And um you're a designer full time then? Yes. Okay, sweet. And I wanted, I had that inkling, um, you know, I did my bit of research, but I feel like at this point now, um, we're at a place where developers also do design and designers also do development. Um, some are okay with the crossover. Some people like mm-hmm. to delineate their profession a bit more, I guess. Um, but how did you end up in this career? Like where did you always like design stuff? Like were you, you know, did you draw as a kid? Did you paint mm-hmm. anything like that? Um, I would say that when I was a kid, I mean, there was a lot of kind of creative things I did. Um, Mm -hmm. I would write a lot of short stories and I would illustrate them, most of them about my dog. Um, Mm -hmm. I would spend a lot of time just kind of reading inside. Um, I mean, I grew up in the MySpace live journal phase you know like yeah. geocities marquee tags yeah, and everything. yeah yeah where, where um i spent a lot of time kind of hacking together uh live journal backgrounds and and layouts and working on graphics uh for that and managing a fan site so i was doing that just for fun like when i'd get home from mm-hmm. school when i was in middle school um i didn't really consider that that would be a career um, or something that I would do professionally. Um, I think a lot of, most of my time in high school, I thought that I was going to do something related to writing or um, something related to English. Um, my senior year, I'd been applying to a lot of schools um, to get into like a, the English department. Um, but my senior year, in high school, I actually took a graphic design class. And um, just as an elective, because uh, a couple of my friends had taken it. And it was really cool. It was um, taught by this teacher, and his name is Richmond Garrick. And he's actually mm-hmm. um, an oil painter, and he creates these really amazing um, oil paintings. He's from, he's from Sierra Leone, so he has a lot of paintings have a lot of like emotion, and, and they depict the Civil War there. So he was teaching this um, graphic design class at my high school. Um, okay. And while I was doing that, um, I realized that that was something that I really enjoyed. Um, I was in like, the literary club at the school, and I actually like designed and printed out and bound like the literary magazines. Oh, wow. <laughs> During my, um, uh, what is that called, the off period? study hall study hall yeah um so I was like (laughs) designing in my off period in school um so I guess it was about halfway through senior year when I was like no I think like this is really what what I want to be doing like I want to be doing like learning more about graphic design um there weren't a a lot of schools had already started like closing their admissions process so it was like Mm -hmm. (laughs) not too many uh, chances to to apply but I ended up applying um, at Drexel University 
And um, Mr. Garrick actually helped me like photograph all the work I'd done in the class and put together a portfolio. So I had submitted that. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And, and I started at the Drexel University graphic design program um, in Philadelphia. So that's kind of how I got to graphic design from when I was a kid. When you were thinking about these as study, like paths of education, at any point did you think about how viable it would be after college? So like I say that I when I picked my major, I said, what could be the coolest job I could have <laughs> that wasn't like doctor, lawyer, like 10, 12 years of school? Mm-hmm. I ended up picking journalism. Um, I My teachers told me I wrote relatively well, like well enough to get a decent grade. And I was like, well, if I'm a writer, I could be a travel writer and just travel. I could be a food writer. I can just eat. I can be a fashion writer and I get clothes. I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And that was sort of how I went about it. When you thought about these things, did you consider viability after graduation? Yeah. I I mean, one of the reasons that I chose Drexel was because they have a co-op program which is um, Mm -hmm. six months out of your junior year, um, you can actually have to apply for jobs and you have to work. Oh, wow. Um, Like an internship kind of thing? Yeah, and and that's how you get credit. Okay. Um, So, and and that was part of the reason why I I chose Drexel instead of another option because I didn't want to graduate and not have work experience or have felt like I lost time because I didn't have legitimate mm, work okay. experience. I would say that the viability thing wasn't necessarily what led me to graphic design, but it definitely was what mm-hmm. led me to web design once I was in college. <laughs> um, because my education at Drexel was, the, the program was at the time um, more traditional, you know, fundamentals of graphic design, um, you know, typography and learning about book design and, you know, a, a lot of fundamentals not so much in the web design sphere, but um, I think it was like sophomore year in college, I was talking to one of the professors at, the, at Drexel about jobs and, and careers and what the job market was like. And he was like, really, if, if you want to graduate with a job, you should look in more into like, the web design area. So... Uh, my co-op was actually at like a digital agency in Philadelphia and I got a lot of exposure um, to the web and to just like the interactive space through the co-op. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say like a lot of my decision there was rooted in <laughs> practical, just being practical and, and wanting to graduate with a job. Did you like web design at first? I mean, I asked that. So I, where <laughs> I work, I work with a handful of print designers. Mm-hmm. And there's just something gratifying about seeing your work go from screen and then being, like, perfectly printed and bound in this, like, book or flyer or just whatever that thing is. Like, you can feel it. You can sort of feel the texture that the ink mm-hmm. is created on the paper. You can see how the ink is absorbed. Like, was there anything that you were um, worried about losing or, or things that you wouldn't like moving over? So to me, there were two, two sides of it. One thing that was really exciting to me about the web was that it was as an industry young, it's still evolving. I think when I was in school, that was just about when um, people started to use web fonts more heavily. So 
I got mm-hmm. to see things evolve. And especially when I was um, about to graduate, the idea of entering into an industry that was going to keep evolving and that I could potentially have a hand in evolving was really exciting to me. And I didn't think that that was going to be something that I, I didn't think I could leave as big of a mark if I was just going into like a print design realm where things had pretty much been defined and there's a much longer history there. Um, so that was one of the things that really drew me to the web. Um, on the flip side of that, just you mentioned like thinking creatively or like having actually create something tangible. Um, at least in, in a lot of the work I do, it's rooted in, you know, understanding the pe- what people that are coming to our site and making sure that they can like are funneled through the process and get the content that they need. There's a lot of like very practical thinking that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do sometimes miss like the creating something that's just like beautiful or it's a little bit more like instinctual um, and less like rooted in, you know, analytics and requirements and that kind yeah. of thing. So less about conversion and more about the art of it. Yeah. So <laughs> pros and cons there. How was, um, how was that internship? So, and I asked that because, you know, I think I graduated college in 2011, um, 26 and at my school, they did something very similar um, where you you had to get an internship at some semester um, and you had to get credit for it. And I know a lot of my friends and granted, I was not a design or develop or engineering major. A lot of my friends ended up with internships where they didn't really do. They didn't really have a large impact in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff that they did wasn't client facing. It was more not busy work, but it was like, we need to give you experience. How can we make up things to give you experience? Mm-hmm. Um, how was yours? Like, what kind of stuff are you doing there? Um, so, I mean, there definitely was the activities that were given to me just because they're a learning exercise, a lot of yep. like making icons and, and, um, there was a lot of, um, they're called visual specs, which means like <laughs> annotating because yep. it was a lot of like for applications. So annotating like the sizes of everything. Um, so there was a lot of that. Um, I, I would say the most valuable thing that I got out of that experience was just understanding more of like the process. I had no idea what um, a wireframe was. I had no idea that there was a research component to these projects where they are interviewing people and they're creating something and they're asking um, for users to like review the work. So I would say that I just learned a lot about the process of creating something and, and mm-hmm. you know, making it a tangible thing on the web um, that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think when we all sort of get into it, we think it just happens and don't realize that there's not so much steps, but there are, there's, <laughs> there's particular things, actions that take place leading up to whatever the end result is. Yeah, so that was it was really interesting to me. And I mean, I know a lot of people go into an internship and expect to like I'm really going to leave my mark or I'm going to get all, a bunch of responsibility. I think I, I understood that <laughs> it's a process and you have to kind of take baby steps uh, before you can can really be doing a ton. Yeah, that makes sense. What um it sounds like you weren't too 
you didn't set yourself up for failure in that if you didn't make that mark, you weren't like, you didn't think you were a total loser. Yeah, I, I, I guess, like, to set realistic expectations. Exactly. No, yeah. and that's totally fair. I think it's probably smarter that way. Where, um, so you did this internship. You eventually, I say eventually because I, it was your junior year, so you had a senior year to go. What was it like? Like, well, when did you go to school? What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2009. Okay. So we were still in the bit of the recession-y time. Was there any concern for you and in, in your future career, given, like, just the state of the economy? I mean, I remember being in classes my senior year and hearing that you know, this is going to be the toughest year to graduate with a job. Um so after my internship and went into going into my senior year, I was still taking um, like packaging classes and I was still making a print portfolio. So there still was a little bit of, you know, I'm not sure what area I'm, I'm going to get into. Um, at Drexel, they had started to add more web design classes and one of them was taught by the creative director at the time of, of Happy Cog, which is a, a studio in, well, New York, and this office was in Philadelphia. So um, I took that class as an elective while I was creating like my print portfolio and working on my thesis, and I was completely overworked mm-hmm. my senior year. Um, but I ended up, I think, putting most of my energy and effort into that class and making sure that, um, you know, I was getting as much knowledge and, and working the hardest uh, at understanding like the web design process more while I was there. Um, so I think it was about halfway through the class, which was um, in my winter term, um, they asked me to come in for an interview. So by the time I had graduated, I, I had like a job lined up at Happy Cog and I started like two weeks after um, graduation, which again, was like kind of shocking for 2009 and how crazy like yeah. the economy and everything was. So uh, very fortunate. Well, the sleepless nights pay off, I guess, right? I, yeah, I mean, I think I, <laughs> I think I went like three nights without sleeping. We're just like taking a series of naps. <laughs> so <laughs> A series of naps. Well, that's right. That's all sleeping is. It's just one really long nap. Yeah. So. I think I think we've all gone through that, right? Like the late night. I know we used to we call it club lib, and it was basically we had a twenty four hour library, and you know two weeks before finals, it was really 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 packed at like two and three a.m. Yeah. People were ordering pizza, so I, you know I'm, I'm it's a grind that we're all sort of used to. What um what was it like at Happy Cog? I'm I'm, I'm asking because I know there's a few people who I respect and, you know, I, I enjoy their work that have gone through Happy Cog. I think Happy Cog is definitely a staple within the industry um, for Jeffrey Zeldman and, and every everything else that it's sort of produced. Did you know of that notoriety? Oh, no, I definitely knew who they were and had researched the work and, and knew just kind of like especially everything that Jeffrey had done for the industry. So it definitely like – it was an intimidating job to get into when you're just out of school, um, especially because at the time um, it was only 
I don't even, I think it was about 12 people, maybe less. And everyone there was like senior level and above. It was like a much flatter organization. And I was the yeah. first person that was coming in that was like, had no experience. Um, so that was definitely intimidating for me. Um, but I mean, it was also just incredibly beneficial for my career to be pushed. And I feel like I learned more the handful of years that I was there than I would have if like with if I'd been working for 10 years, you know. Um, what did so. you how did you sorry, how did you um, I don't want to say prepare, but you've you've gotten the job offer, you've accepted you're two weeks away from graduation and you're about to go to a pretty legit agency. Like what did you just walk in and say, I'm just going to take whatever they throw at me? Did you do any preparation? Uh, well, the first thing I did was try to read Designing with Web Standards as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> That's probably a was, good start. Yeah. Um, I was reading everything that Jason San Maria had written in his blog and, and looking into all the sites that they had launched and designed. Um, so, I, yeah, definitely tried to learn as much about the history of the company as possible before I started. And how'd that fare for you? I would like, I asked that because I know like, um, and I'm making this up. If you went up to Jason and was like, Hey man, I love that post you wrote three years ago about your dog. Ha. He'd be like, Whoa, what? That's like not weird, but it's just a random way to put it. So like, how did you take all this research and background information that you had and actually implement it? I mean, it, it helped marginally. It made me feel a little bit more prepared, but I think that there was just so much that I didn't know um, and that I learned in the first year. Since I'd primarily been working on um, print projects for school where, you know, I'd design a poster or I'd design a book or I would design, you know, just like a static singular artifact. There were so many things that I didn't know about websites, especially um, creating, thinking of a website as a system and thinking of it as components. Um, so there was just a huge learning curve for me, um, which was actually part of the reason why I think about a year into it, I decided that that was something that I wanted to talk about, like go to, to AIGA conferences and, and talk about like the learning process between you know, print design and web. It's, you know, I, I've never thought about it as a, I feel like what ends up happening, or at least it, it sort of happened for me is when you think about these things, we, so I can speak from the development side. When you think about development as a system versus as like a waterfall mentality, mm -hmm. um, I feel like what tends to happen is it's stirring up in the industry or you're running into an experience but it sounds like you sort of cognitively set out to learn and research this, this approach. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, what happened was that I designed a site that I assumed that every single page would have a sub-navigation. And once it launched, the client needed a page that didn't have a sub-navigation that went full width. And... I had no, I, I hadn't thought of it about it in that sense. Like I needed to create 
um, layouts that were more flexible um, yeah. and that accommodated more situations. Um, I was still thinking about it in a in a more static way. So that's why I, I started to like try to retrain the way that I approached designing. And was this something that, and, and I'm not like trying to f- like dig into this one scenario, but I find it interesting that like, you know, it came about through client work and really just a, a flexibility that the client need. Now, was this something that was discussed or not discussed at the agency? And it's not, um, that's probably not the best way to phrase it. Is it something that you just didn't think about at the time? Yeah, it just, it, it, it this, I guess the, the scenario hadn't come up. That's why, like, I, I realized that moving forward, I had to think a little bit more flexibly. I mean, and there was also some other aspects, like, um, I think one of the biggest things that people, when they're starting out with web design and, and when they're designing, one of the biggest things to learn is understanding how to give emphasis to the right elements and how to not create a new style for you know, everything, uh, you know, everything doesn't need a, a brand new style. Um, so those are the, the types of things that I had to like relearn. And, um, so when I say that I needed to like think more systematically, uh, it was, it was that type of thing. Like, I don't need this many shades of blue. I don't need to create like five different styles for like a sidebar. Um, yeah, that's, those were the biggest things that I that I learned. That's the greatest part. When um, I was working on a project recently, there's literally like almost ten to twelve different colors, and they're all <laughs> like very varying shades of like four colors. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of stabbing myself in the eyes slowly with my mouse every day. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I I, I find it interesting because I think. Um, when you think when you talk about it from the design perspective, there in print design you can sort of do whatever you want, right? Like it is going to be static. It is going to be printed and that's it. It doesn't change. What changes is the size of the paper. And if it's a different size, well then it's a different design. Yet on the web, it depends on your device, it depends on your connection, it depends on what yeah. you're trying to do, where you're looking. So I definitely have a, an appreciation for designers. Because I think um, when like when the whole responsive thing came out, people were like, "Man, developers have a really hard job now. They're basically designing three sites or developing." And in my head, I'm mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, well, you've got designers who have to design three sites, but then they also have to think about all the varying nuances. Like, what yeah. does what does a hover look like on a mobile phone? You have to design that. You don't have to. Well, you know what I mean. Um, at, at this point, it's more of a conversation between the two parties. But I think it's." Um, it's an interesting intersection when you think about what traditional design is and then mm-hmm. what design is becoming based on how we're using these things. Yeah. I, I find that most of the time my role is kind of in a middle ground between understanding like what the client is needs from like a branding perspective and from like a marketing perspective and then figuring out the best way to put that on the web in a way that is going to be load fast and um, have consistency and have a nice level of hierarchy. So um, I'm kind of like an, at an in-between point between like 
what a client is asking for and what a developer is building. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and you've, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are at another company now? Yes. Uh, uh, and you, go ahead. Yeah, um, let's see. I started in July um, at a company called Intuitive Company. Awesome. With Congrats actually, uh, thank you. Uh, with actually, with a couple of the people that I was working with when I did my co-op back in college. Oh wow, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you were at Happy Cog for a bit of time. If you graduated in two thousand nine, and you are almost a year, so you were there for like four or five years. Yeah, yeah, it was a, about five years. How was it? I guess, um, I don't want to say growing through the ranks at Happy Cog, but you probably saw, well, you got to work through the idea of like pixel perfect design to flexible Mm -hmm. responsive design from static pages to modular systems. You've also seen Happy Cog as an agency grow. So what was it like, like over four or five years? Yeah, there definitely were a lot of changes. I mean, when, like I said, when I started there, um, it was about like 10 to 12 people and I was by far like the youngest person there. Um, and then by the end there were of course like a lot more different like ranges and, and levels of people that were working there. Um, and then just from like a, an evolution of the web perspective, like you were saying, um, I think what like web fonts were still you know, people were just starting to talk about them when I started there. And I think like there were just like murmurs about, no, I don't think, I think it was, it was a little bit after like responsive web design um, didn't pick up until like, I guess about a year after that. So um, it was definitely a a very, like I I said, like a drastic evolution of in the way that I worked and, um, in like my day to day there. What was it like? Like I'm, I'm thinking now you hypothetically sat next to Jason Santamaria and you hypothetically sat next to like Daniel Mall. Who I sat next to Dan for a couple of months. Okay. Um, Jason, we didn't have any overlap. Oh, okay. So no, like everyone sort of knows that happy cog does some really awesome stuff. And you're this designer who has worked there for a while, started there out of college. What was it like being around, quote unquote, like industry powerhouses? Because I don't know. To me, it makes me think about like when you're at a restaurant with like a celebrity or some really important person and you're like sort of sitting next to them or you guys sort of just shoot the shit and you're like, oh, man, I'm like I'm in it. And you sort of get that like nice warm feeling. (laughs) I mean, I remember the first day that. I met Jeffrey and he came to the office and it was like, like, <laughs> like just a huge feeling. Like I'm going to meet Jeffrey Zeldman today. Yeah. Um, and that's like normal. Cause he's like your boss or he's one of your bosses. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's a regular yeah. guy. Uh, yeah. I still think about that sometimes. <laughs> just like how excited I was. I, I'm sure the excitement played into your work though. Right. Like it wasn't, I don't know. The agency world is interesting because I feel like you can very easily be a person who is ingrained in the agency. You make work your life. Um, 
every the agent not agency comes first, but business comes first. You're very focused. You're very involved, which is very good. But sometimes that means that you might sacrifice some of your personal life. And then you've got the other side of it where you've got someone who goes to work and that's what it is. It's work. But it and that's just a regular agency when you're it sounds like when you're at a place like a happy cog or any other really good like RGA's development team mm-hmm. is probably top notch. Right. Granted, they're a much larger agency. Um, but working in places where you know that you've got some of the smartest minds in the business, it probably doesn't – you probably sit right in between, right? Like you don't necessarily have to pour yourself into the work because you feel like you have to. You pour yourself into the work because you want to and you've got all these super smart minds around you. Yeah, that's that was definitely the situation that I was in um, because, one, I wanted to catch up um, to – my coworkers as quickly as possible. Mm. So I think it just like poured a ton of time um, and, and energy just trying to like be at that caliber of work. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, it was incredibly exciting for me to be working somewhere that was kind of like revolutionizing the way that we were working. Like Ethan was writing responsive web design and, um, that was huge for me. So, um, and I, and I would say since I was like 22 and, and 23, um, and I had the energy <laughs> to do, to like pour that much of my energy into work, um, I didn't really notice that anything was off balance. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's, um, I don't know. I'm 26 and I, I don't feel the same energy anymore. I'm just like, nope. Oh my, <laughs> my back hurts. No. Uh, yeah. I'm, 27 now and I definitely like don't have that like same amount of energy that I used to and the ability to like stay up late and get up early and and just like work 24 <laughs> 7 I think that's that's a good thing so yeah yeah I would hope so um so you mentioned that you spent a lot of time when you were younger catching up was there a period in when you felt like you were caught up that's tricky because I feel like there is so much that changes like so often in this industry that I never feel like, uh, I, I feel like there's always things that like I need to read more about or I need to look into more, like I need to read more about element queries. Um, I think when I say catching up, um, there's this clip um by ira glass where he talks about the gap that i love that clip yes that i listened to it daily when i was starting out just to kind of reassure myself (laughs) uh so like and he's talking about the gap between um your taste when when you're getting into a creative field because you get into it because you have great taste but you don't have the skills yet to be able to actually produce what's in your head. Um, and it can be really challenging because since you have good taste, you know that the work you're doing is bad and, and that can be kind <laughs> yeah. of hard to reconcile, but, and you don't really know like what steps you need to take to get there. So I think when I say like I needed to catch up, I needed to close that gap and actually find a way to be able to like take what was in my head and, Turn it into something. Um, so I think, like, I mean, I definitely got better at that, at, at understanding how to um, 
take an idea and turn it into something. What, um, what point did you think that you sort of closed that gap? Maybe like three years in, I had finally learned how to ask good questions, how to, um, you know, not stop at my first idea. And, um, and I also just had a, like a, a better level of competency with like Photoshop and, and the tools that I was using. Um, and I had a better understanding of like the web as a medium. So I knew more about um, code and, and, and what the end result of my work was going to look like. I think those were the biggest things that, that I needed to work on. Um, I think that's fair. You know, I guess the other question I have from that, so I've actually, I've asked my brother, I remember I was, my brother's a designer as well. And I was, mm-hmm. I, I am Tim or texted him something. And I said, at what point did you feel confident in your work that it wasn't crap? And he said like, basically when he was around like 28, 29, he's like 32 now. Um, but going back to this idea of the gap, Let's say for conversation's sake, around year three is when you started to feel confident in your work. So then what was it like to produce stuff for clients in the year one, two? I think what was challenging for me was I remember knowing that I would have to create um, a design concept. Like, let's say it was a Sunday and I knew, okay, Monday I'm going to go into work and I'm going to have to create this design concept for this client. And I would just have a huge amount of fear about whether or not I was going to be able to pull it off. And I think eventually, like, the fear of whether or not I'll be able to pull it off subsided. And it turned into a much more, like, you know, logical, here's what I want to accomplish. What steps do I need to take to get there? Um, I think I just didn't know how to really know where I was going and and the steps that I needed to take to get there. And that's why I was just like always filled with like this anxiety, like, am I able going to be able to do this or am I not? Yeah. I think the gap is an interesting concept because I think it's a variety of things. Um, I think one of those things is just sheer skill, right? Over Mm -hmm. time you become a better designer or better X in whatever your industry is. The other thing is knowledge. Um, you learn more. The other thing is mastery. So mastery of your craft. So in your case, it might be a design tool. In my case, it might be a development tool. Mm -hmm. But I think the other thing is also what, in my opinion, what helps bridge that gap is the idea of process. So you mentioned like what steps to get you there. And I, I I forget how to pronounce the woman's name. I think it's Jolie. She's at Facebook. What is her name? I, I, of course, I type Jolie, J-O-U-L-I-E, and I get Angelina Jolie on freaking Facebook. It's, <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, I think I was saying it all wrong. Yeah, it's Julie Zoe. Her, mm-hmm. her Twitter is J-O-U-Lee. So I totally lost that. But it was, um, I'm sure you, you may have already read it. If you haven't, I'll share it with you. But it's the um, junior designers versus senior designers. Oh, yeah. Freaking, I'll share, I'll put it in the show notes. I love that article because to me, what makes the most sense is, I guess she's got this one and she's got another one. And both of them sort of 
harp on the idea that it's a process, right? It's, Mm -hmm. let's see if I can find it. I want to find this other one. Um, But the other one had a nice graphic. It was like a junior designer sees thing and like uh, one clear path, right? But that path sort of goes everywhere all over the map. But then a senior designer, and I would argue and say you could replace designer with any profession. And what they see is a series of options and a series of paths. Some paths Mm -hmm. all meet on the same point. Some paths end really early on. Uh, maybe there's three paths that ma- make whatever that get to the goal. And I think it's like understanding that process is probably the biggest. It's also the hardest, but it's, um, oh, yeah. it's the biggest one that, that you need to sort of come to grips with. Yeah, because when I started, I had a really hard time seeing the big picture. So I would spend a ton of time designing one button or I would spend a ton of time designing like one like a tiny sidebar module Mm -hmm. or the navigation. I couldn't see things as like a a one system. And actually what I needed to do to get over that hurdle was to add a ton of process from like to myself for my internal process. Mm -hmm. So I would start doing things like, um, um, actually something that Jason Santa Maria wrote about, like this gray box method where, you're designing everything in black and white so you get a sense of layout, but you don't look at any any color or aesthetic yet. And that helped me understand if I had enough variation in my work and if I had like a good sense of hierarchy. Um, and like doing little exercises like that was what helped me uh, kind of evolve. And until I got to a, to the point where, like, I didn't need to add a little in-between step, I could just sketch and, and, and I knew, like, if I had enough hierarchy or consistency. Um, I definitely had to add, like, a little bit more process um, to, my, to myself uh, before I could, uh, I guess, get comfortable with, with designing. Did you ever find yourself like I do this sometimes or I find myself in a rabble hole and I literally lift my hands up off my keyboard? And I was like, nope, stop. Like, stop what you're doing. Take inventory. Is this important enough? And if it's not, I move on to something else. And I, I, oh, I bring yeah. that up only because you mentioned the idea of like over-designing or designing for too long on, on a very small element. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, if I feel like I, I've spent too much time and I haven't solved the problem, I definitely take a step back and, and try to evaluate. Um, or if I if I spend too much time trying to make a solution work and it just isn't happening, then I need to actually like reevaluate whether the solution is correct or not. Um, so I definitely feel very comfortable throwing work away if I, if I feel like it's not getting me anywhere and, and starting from scratch or kind of like hitting pause on something and, and moving somewhere else. Did you ever, so I know me personally, I found that in the beginning to be relatively challenging. Um, I, I think I had like a personal attachment to these solutions or ideas or potential options. Um, and then if they didn't work, I felt like I failed at something. Like, did you ever right. find that difficult? Oh, yeah. And I think I see this in a lot of, of people that I um, have worked with when you're you're starting out, you want your idea to be your own and you want, you, you know, you get this attachment to your ideas. Um, and I don't really feel that anymore. And I, and I don't really feel like, 
um, I have like a personal emotional attachment to the work that I'm doing. Um, I think because it is, it's design and I'm trying to accomplish, I'm trying to solve a problem with my work. So whatever gets me to that point, um, is the right solution. And I don't, I don't feel bad if I have to throw something away or, or if I know that something isn't going to work. No, that's good. That's smart. I, um, <clears throat> it's, I think it's hard. We had, um, we had a guest, guest Mung. She, and this was in season two, she went to FIT and she had a teacher who would literally make them produce new ideas every day. And mm-hmm. it sounds like it was of a similar vein or similar purpose, which was to not become attached to them when they don't work. Like you need to get used mm-hmm. to the premise of throwing things out because not everything you do will be gold and not all of it will be right. And some of it's just going to straight up stink and you sort of got to yeah. get rid of it. Um, so what kind of things, I guess, have you realized with yourself through those years at Happy Cog, Happy Cog and even where you are now that you're sort of like, man, I can't believe I can't believe I did that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything bad, but like you talked about the gray box method. Is that something that you do? I mean, you might do it more mentally now, now that you've got, you know, five, six years under your belt. Whereas in the beginning, you might have literally had to use gray boxes. Are there anything that you you, mm-hmm. you can definitely see over time that you've sort of carried throughout? Well, I mean, I definitely, now I, I sketch. I think you one sketch, of the things. You uh, sketch pen and paper? Yeah, so it'll be a lot more loose. And, and I sketched before, but I mean, I, I can see my idea more abstractly and, and I don't need to be as literal with the gray boxes now. Yeah. Uh, but I, it was a helpful exercise. Um, I'll say that the, one of the biggest things that was probably the hardest thing for me to learn and that I'm still working on is the best way to present work and to be persuasive with work and to be able to communicate the idea that I had and, and why I did it. Um, I'll say that, uh, you know, because executing the work and being able to create beautiful work. That's one side of it. But if you can't sell it, it's not really, it doesn't really have much purpose. So um, I think that that's been one of the, the biggest things that I've learned. Like what's the best way to sell work or um, get a client on board with an idea? Um, a lot of the, the, talk, the talks that I do around performance are, you know, how can we convince clients about caring about performance and, how can we um, just communicate better in general? So I, I think that's one of the, the biggest things that I had to learn and that I'm still working on. Um, and I imagine that that's a lot of learning by fire. Yeah. I mean, also because since I am doing client service work, every client, every client team is a little different and every client team has a different hierarchy and a different communication style. So learning to be able to like adapt and think on my feet and like stay true to myself, but still kind of alter the way I'm communicating so that it's the most effective um, can be tricky. I, I could imagine it's very much, you know, one process doesn't work in one scenario, yeah. whereas it works in another. I don't, I think that that's sort of the benefit of, of 
working in an agency is that no day is ever the same, especially if you're not if you're not a, an account person on a particular team and you're in an environment where you might design for multiple projects. It sort of makes life a little more interesting. Um, is the the I'm blanking on the name of the company you're at now. We just talked about Intuitive it. Company. What's it called? Intuitive Company. Is that agency or is that in-house? Uh, it's agency work. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. Work for several projects. That's really, really cool. Um, how what? So I guess, how was it leaving Happy Cog and not a um, super detailed, but I'm sure at some point you realized or came to the conclusion that you needed to take the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, five years is a long time, especially since that was my first job right out of school. Um, I'd also, I, like, I still felt like I was learning new things. Like, I, I didn't feel like, you know, things were entirely stale. But I did think that um, I needed to try a different environment and to try maybe different types of work. Um, I wanted to do more with um, applications and um, more like in-depth um, user experiences. So, and and, th- and that was just because I didn't want to like box myself in or, or limit um, what I knew. That's fair. I think that's a good, it's a good outlook. I think, you know, sometimes, well, it's very rare, especially nowadays, that people stick around somewhere for more than two years, mm-hmm. um, which says something about the environment and the work at Happy Cog. But at the same time, I don't know, it's, it's always been weird to me, like, uh, unless you're frustrated with the place you work, it's very interesting when you come to the point that you realize you need to move on to something new. And I can imagine it's probably very much like trying to break up with someone you're in a relationship with for a while. Cause you're like, I don't know. Is this the right thing to do? Yes, it is. And the next day you're like, no, it's not. Maybe <laughs> something, at, something on the way to work frustrates you. You're like, Oh, I need to leave this place. And then the next day you like, don't ever want to leave. I don't, it, it, it feels like it would be a very much a mental battle with myself. Yeah. Um, well, good. So now you're on to, a new agency and it sounds like things are going well. You've been there about a year. Do you notice any differences in your workplace? Well, not in your workplace. Uh, here's a better way to phrase it. At Happy Cog, I'm sure you learned a bunch of stuff, but some of that stuff is probably predicated by the people you are around. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing that there are some things that you may have overlooked um, because you had some people to work with? Maybe not as crutches, but you know, just, you learn things a certain way when you're around a particular type of person that you aren't around anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely been interesting to see, um, just how different, like different processes are. Um, intuitive company has a, um, a full research team. So that's definitely been interesting to like learn more about like a traditional, um, process for, user interviews and, and testing um, because I'd been doing the research part of a, of a project myself. So it's, it's interesting to see like how like a more traditional, not traditional, but more like uh, like a full team approaches it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they might be a little bit larger than Happy Cog. Yeah. So uh, we've got about 50 employees right now. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, that's a good sized company, though. I feel like you'll get a, a now that you don't already know this, you get a good mix of people and a good mix of everything, really. You know, mm-hmm. there's always new people to meet. Um, so we're getting close on time, which is totally fine. Um, we have three typical questions that we sort of ask nearing the end of the podcast. And the first one is knowing all the stuff that you know now that you know now. Um, and it definitely sounds like a lot of it was honing your own skill, but then also integrating processes into your work. If you could go talk to the 16, 18 year old girl back in high school, what would you, uh, what would you sort of tell her, you know, Hey, here's some tips. It's always, it's always interesting when you ask someone what they would tell themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, um, I think it would, it would be more around like, just like telling myself to like trust myself and not second guess myself. If, if I'm thinking back to like my earlier years, I think that I spent a, maybe like <laughs> wasted some time and definitely like drove myself a little crazy, just like second guessing all of the decisions that I was making. So just like, trusting myself and feeling confident in, in what I'm doing and what I believe. Um, I think that's what I would say. It's also, you know, it's always interesting because it's never a, uh, here are the winning lotto numbers or anything like super, super explicit or tangible. It's always, I don't know. It's always like this idea of like trust, faith, perseverance. It's stuff that as bad as it sounds, kids don't realize. Yeah. Um, uh, and I wouldn't realize it if I, hadn't gone, if I hadn't gone through it. Yeah, no, exactly. Is there, so the other question is, let's say you get an email from Joe Schmo and Joe Schmo says, Hey, Jacinia, um, I'm about to graduate from college and I'm a designer. Um, mm-hmm. do you have any advice? Um, I would, I would think that the most valuable thing that you can do is, learn how to talk about your work and learn how to write about your work and how to present your work because it's simple enough to read a tutorial or a book or like and and figure out how to learn a specific skill but it's much more challenging to figure out how to talk about your work and write about your work yeah no I think that you know it's interesting because I think there's a, a very large business aspect of our industry that is it's not forgotten i just think it's often overlooked because it, it it's just not in the forefront right it's sort of it's on the back burner and for a while just traditionally in, in the agency world and in design in general um you would design it and then someone on the account team would present it or sell it but mm-hmm. i think more and more you've got designers being included in those meetings and actually being the focal point of those meetings and not that, you know, we can all talk to people. We all have friends. We all communicate and interact in the real world. But when you're sort of put on that kind of stage, we all freeze up a little bit. Yeah. And for me, actually being able to talk about my work has made me rethink the way I do some things. Because once I'm actually like trying to explain it, I'm like, wait, does that make sense? So I think it's absolutely fundamental to your evolution as a designer or anyone in this industry to be able to like communicate and articulate what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's a fair point. Something that we overlook sometimes. Um, so the final question, it's called the secret fun time question. 
It has nothing to do with any of the stuff we talked about. Usually some random silly shit that I make up. I'm trying to think of what it could be for you now. Well, here's a question for you. It's not a secret fun time question. I'm just trying to get context. You were born in South Jersey, but raised in Philly? I was born in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. And I moved to South Jersey when I was about five. Gotcha. And you've lived and worked in South Jersey, Philly area? Yeah. So I, I moved to Philadelphia for college. And gotcha. I've been working in Philly since then. So if you could pick anywhere else in the world to live and work, can't be Puerto Rico, Jersey, or Philly, and it cannot be the U.S., where would it be? Actually, no, it can be the U.S. if you want it to be. Wait, it can be the U.S. or it can't? It, 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 it can, yes. I figured, like, without the U.S., like, what if you really wanted to go to Austin? I shouldn't be the one that prevents <laughs> you from doing that. Well, if we're going to say the world, um, I would love to live somewhere like, or work somewhere like Barcelona. Just because beautiful, the Mediterranean. Um, if it's the U.S., I really like the Pacific Northwest just because um, it's just beautiful. The scenery is, is beautiful. And I miss a little bit of like having inspiring surroundings. Yeah, right. Because the surroundings is usually your your room or your couch yeah. and a blanket and Netflix. Yeah. Well, cool. Is there how can people get in touch with you online if they wanted to just say, hey. Um, yeah, so my website is jeseniaproscruise.com, and my Twitter is jesenia with an extra A at the end. <laughs> it's probably the best place to get in touch with me. How often do you have to show, like, explain to people it's an extra A? Or- oh, not that often, because usually people are just Googling it. Um, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, the person that has the account without the a doesn't really tweet much which is disappointing i i've wanted to get uh at pbj on Uh twitter forever and the person has like they follow one person they've never tweeted in their entire life yeah it's so depressing yeah um well jacinia thank you i appreciate you coming on the start and talking with me yeah absolutely thank you for having me of course have a good day thank you